Okay, we are in the book of Acts, chapter 24. Acts 24. And just as a reminder, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, Paul is on trial here in Acts chapter 24, and he's on trial before Festus. I'm sorry, before Felix. Festus will come next. He's on trial before Felix. And remember what I had said last week about Felix. Felix was an especially um, corrupt uh, 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 governor of the area. And so his office there was in Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast. And, um, and he, he was suffered with extreme lust and uh, um, real problems in his own personal life. And here Paul is making a defense before him. And so the Jews had come down from, from um, uh, Jerusalem, and they had come and they had made accusations, and he's in the midst of making his defense. And let's pick it up in verse 12. Well, we'll start in verse 10. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, this is Acts 24.10, Paul responded, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no more than twelve days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, neither in the temple, nor in the synagogue, nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there should certainly be a resurrection both of the righteous and of the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before God and before men. Now after several years I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings, in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you to make accusation, if they should have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council, other than for this one statement which I shouted out while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody, yet have some freedom, and not to, be, not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. Okay, so in, we, we had covered a little bit of this last time. But he says in verse 14, he says, This I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers. To put that into contemporary speech would be, I confess I am a Christian. He was not afraid to say who he was, or to say what his position was. It is amazing how, how easily we can say, well, you know, I'm a Christian when there's a lot of Christians around, and to you know, kind of wiggle through this when we're not around a lot of Christians. But Paul unabashedly said, yes, according to the sect which they call the way. The believers in the New Testament referred to themselves as believers. 
And that, again, is the same term that is commonly used in Israel today among the Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They call themselves believers. Um, sometimes it's called the sect of the Nazareans in, in the New Testament, in the, in the book of Acts, and sometimes uh, the sect called the Way. And he says, I am part of that group, and in that I serve the God of our fathers. This is what Paul felt. He felt that what he was doing was a service to God. If we get in our minds, if we get in our minds that there is a service to God that we are doing through our vocation, through our schoolwork, it makes life a lot more enjoyable. I am here as a student, as my service to God. So when a student comes to my office, and, and just recently this happened, for example, he says, you, you know, I don't, I don't know what God wants from me. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And this young lady was just a freshman. I said, oh, I know what God wants from you. She said, you do? I said, oh, yeah. It's very simple. She said, what is it? I said, to be a student. He wants you to be a student, and in that, you will glorify Him. She said, that's what He wants from you? I said, yes. He wants you to be a student, and in that, you will glorify Him. We are to rest in doing our work for God. That in my vocation, what I do, I am serving God. I work for the university, but I am serving God. You know how this changes my attitude when I go in? That my service is for the Lord. What I do here. It says, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord. So when I write proposals, I say, Lord, this proposal is being written for you. Give me the hands of a ready writer. Give me the hands of a scribe and let me compose this for you. So you can imagine how I can attack this task like a lion. Where most people are, you know, spitting and cursing the whole way through this, they have to write a proposal. And I just, just bang them out, one after another. Why? Because this is my service to God. And in this, I'm to just glorify Him, and I'm a witness. Whatever you do, you make it a service to God. You see how much easier it is to go throughout life when we realize that the work of our hands is a service to God. What you do... When you, when you have to go to the library and, and just sit there, and you know you're going to have to spend the next six hours sitting there studying, say, Lord, this is as a service to you. I open this up in service to you. This is my service to God. Then you will have much greater success. This is my service to God. You will have much greater success in this. This is what Paul was able to do. He says, I serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and is written in the prophets. This is a key point I want to get across to get today. He says, I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. I believe it all. I believe everything. You know, I read Billy Graham's testimony when I was in I was visiting Wheaton College at one point, and I went into the Billy Graham Museum there, which is just the life of Billy Graham as a graduate of Wheaton College. And there, he, he wrote this portion, and, it, and it's, it's up there on the wall there, that he struggled when he was a college student because 
in his day, it was no different than in our day. People were trying to discredit the Bible and saying, you know, this isn't accurate, that isn't accurate. And he was really struggling with this. And he spent some time just meditating and before God, and God really impressed upon him the truth of this scripture. And he said, from that day, he decided to take everything in this book as truth. And he said, from that day, his ministry was born. Paul said, I believe everything, believing everything in accordance with the law and that's written in the prophets. Everything that is in this book, I believe. Everything in this book, I believe. I believe it all. If you will take this book and make it your meditation, you will do, ve- do very well in life. You will do well in life if you do like Paul did and said, I believe everything in this book. There are going to be people who come and say, oh, this book is inaccurate, you know, God doesn't exist, the Bible has been changed, blah, blah, blah. They know nothing. They are wrong. As in historical document, it is so sound. I was just at something called the Great Debate this weekend where I was served as the moderator and you had, you had uh, uh, theists and atheists and all these things going back and forth and I didn't have to do anything but moderate and just make sure that they stayed on time and when they wanted more time I said, no, you get no more time and that's it. So all, all I had to do was do that. But to see the atheist talking about the Bible, he knew absolutely nothing of the history of this document. He would just say, it's not true, it's inaccurate. And, and, and one of the, the theists there was saying, no, you, you, you don't realize how accurate this document is, even in, as an historical document. When we come to grips with the fact that this is the true Word of God, this is the revelation that God has given to people of Himself, we will do much better in life. And if you take this Word and make it your meditation, you will do very, very well. You know, I just had a, a student get her PhD from my group in our, in our closing meeting. I told her, I said, if you read this book, I read to her a portion from, from the book of Proverbs, and I said, if you read this book, you will have a good life. If you fail to read this book, you will fall into the very same traps and the very same sins that this book warns you about. And I encouraged her to read from the book of Proverbs every day to read a proverb a chapter for the book of Proverbs, because there are 31 books in Proverbs, and read it particularly for that that day of the month, read that proverb. And she said that she would. I hope she does. Because everything that is written in that book, as I read the book of Proverbs, for example, I see exactly what I see today. I see what men do and how they lose everything because of their decisions. And that book warns them. I see women who destroyed their own homes. And that book warns specifically, this is how a woman destroys her home. And it goes through it. Wouldn't you like to read about that so that you could be careful not to destroy your own home? The book tells you specifically right there. And all the people who mock this and think it's a nonsensical word, I see it borne out all the time in the lives of people around me. This book, you are to... Believe it. Believe this book. How much more explicit would you like me to be? Believe this book and your life will go well. Look in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Verse 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 1. Ps
Psalm chapter 1. How blessed is the man, reading from verse 1, Psalm 1 verse 1, How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. That is the promise of this book. And some Christians don't like to hear the word prosper because it reminds them of prosperity teaching. So what I advise you to do then is to tear out this page. If you don't like it, tear it out. The Bible says you will prosper if you do this. Now remember, the Bible's view of prosperity is different than the view of prosperity in the world. The Bible's view of prosperity is something much richer than merely finances. It is a family. It is a core of belief. It is relationships. It is a sense of presence of God. But the Bible says you will prosper if you do in verse 2, it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. This book on the shelf will do you nothing. I've known people who say, open up the Bible, and I want it open in my room while I'm sleeping. It does you nothing. Whether it's open or closed or there or not, it does nothing. It has to be in your heart. The devil is not afraid of a bunch of, of black ink on, a, on white pages. Not afraid of it at all. But what scares the devil is when you know the truth of God, and that is seated within your heart, and you speak these words forth, that is what has real power. And it says... But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I know that if you take this book and make it your daily meditation, your lives will go well. How well will they go? Let me be specific. If you take this book and make it your daily meditation, you will find the right spouse that loves the Lord. It will keep you from marrying the wrong person. It will keep you, young women, from being deceived by a handsome young man and thinking, well, he's Christian. He goes to church with me sometimes. He's Christian. It will keep you from being deceived and being drawn in just by a handsome man, thinking that you have to marry this handsome young man because you may not get another opportunity. It will keep you from that. It will cause you to marry the right person. It will cause you to make decisions in your young life that will keep you out of debt. That will keep you free from the snares of the world and free from things that would snare people. It says you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. That means that you will have a fruitful life. Young men, you will have a life that bears fruit so that your life is not merely going to work, coming home, going to sleep, and going back the next day to work and thinking that you are fulfilling your duty by putting food on the table. 
No, you will have a fruitful life that touches many other people beyond your own little family. You will have a fruitful life if you make this book your meditation. If you don't make this book your meditation, you will wither like everybody else. If you don't make this book your meditation, you will go to church, but there will be no life there. And you wonder after ten years, why am I still going to church? And your only, only resolution will be, well, I go because of the children. Well, then the children will know it's hypocrisy. It yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. If you make this book your meditation, look in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to start reading from verse 97. This whole chapter of Psalms is on the glories of the Word of God. Almost every verse in this chapter, almost every verse out of the the 176 verses, something like 170 of the 176 are just praise for the Word of God. But look... Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Okay, so, starting this portion, this is what it says. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So it is something very specific. It is not just a love and respect for the Word of God. It is the practicality of, I make it my daily meditation. I make it my daily meditation. That is the key. Not to just say, yeah, the Word of God is great. It's to be the daily meditation. Now let's see what is the result of loving the Word of God enough to make it our daily meditation. Here is the result. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I've restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I've not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. Oh, how sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So you see, the result, the result of taking this book and making it our meditation is to have this going on in our lives. Keeps us from the false way. Keeps us from going in the wrong path. Keeps us loving God, loving His Word. Gives us more understanding than others around us. What does that mean? It doesn't say just in Bible study stuff. It means at work, in your profession. You will have more insight than others because of this book. I'm amazed sometimes at the people that call me for advice on how to deal with things. Who am I? I know this book. And I just give them advice from this book. And they're like, wow, that's really great. I think I'll do that. It's all from this book. And people have this book in their home, but they don't know it. When you make this book your meditation, you have this tremendous advantage over other people. That's what it says. You will have more understanding than the age. You'll have more insight than all your teachers because of this book. You know, a student emailed me. He says, you know, this book, this professor is always 
you know, picking on, on Christianity and saying bad stuff, what, I, what, what ought I to do? I said, get to know the professor better. Learn something about that professor's life. I bet that professor's spouse doesn't like them very much if they even have a spouse. I bet that professor's kids don't like them very much. Learn something about that professor's life. If some professor's got to stand up and pick on Christians and the Word of God, they probably have a very unhappy life. I was with a man that, that uh, uh, is an agnostic. Sometimes he describes himself as an agnostic, sometimes a, as an atheist. Very, very smart man. And as I was talking with him, you know, he's had multiple wives and multiple things. He's not married now. And, he, he, and I was talking with him just over the weekend and he said, we were at this, this uh, Italian restaurant. We were all brought out to this Italian restaurant. A beautiful meal. That we didn't get to the restaurant until 11.30 p.m. because we were serving in this great debate thing. And so it was such a special restaurant. They kept it open just for us private room because it was a big thing and with famous people and I'm sitting next to this guy and he's a very famous guy and he's looking at his food he said I wish I had an appetite I said, what do you mean he says for 40 years I've had no appetite he says I have to force myself to eat to stay alive I have no appetite and I looked at him in such sorrow you know the man has no appetite I said, are you married? He says, I have been multiple times. I'm not married now. And just to look at his life, the destruction that's come, the loss that's come. So smart in the things of this world, but no peace in the heart. No peace in the heart. No understanding of what it is to be surrounded by a loving wife and a loving family. This book is so true. If you make this book your meditation, your life will go well. You will have a whole different perspective on life. Paul said, I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. That is the signature of his life. How can this man go on? Because he believed everything that is here. Believe this book. Make it your daily meditation. Turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. This was the verse that I told you not long ago I shared with my daughter after she, when she was getting married and about to go off. This is the verse that I shared with her. Something that would summarize everything that I wanted to talk with her about is summarized in verse 44 through 47. And this man, Moses, what he was doing is he was summarizing all the things that he had written to Israel. This is what he says in verse 44. Then Moses came and spoke all the words, Deuteronomy 32:44, of this song in the hearing of the people, he with Joshua, the son of Nun, when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you, 
Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So look what he says. He says, all right, this is the sum of the whole thing. I'm old now. I'm about to go. I've written to you these five books. Moses wrote these five books to Israel. He says, now I'm going to sum it up. He says, here it is in two sentences. Take to heart all these words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. You take this to heart and you teach it to your children. This is what I'm leaving you with. You take this to heart and you leave it with your, you teach it to your children. He says in verse 47, it is not an idle word for you. For others, it might be an idle word. For others, they may have a big stand in their home where they put a big Bible. But that's an idle word. For you, it is not an idle word. It is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. This book is your life. It is your life. The beginning of your life, the period that you are in now, and your, the end of your life are, is written in this book. Everything that happens in your life, you can find in this book. That if I do this, this is going to be the outcome. If I do that, that will be the outcome. It is written here. This book is your life. You can find your life in this book. If you live your life according to the good that this book says that you should be doing, your life will go well. Now, I can't guarantee that you won't be run over by a car, but your life will go well. You will live eternally with Him. He says, Indeed, it is your life, and by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. By this book... You will prolong your days by this word. Paul said, this word, this book, is the thing that you need. This is the book. This is the word. And that's why Paul, back in the book of Acts, says, you want to know the sum of the whole thing? He says in Acts chapter 24, verse 14, Believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. You want the summation of Paul's life? He believed it all. Don't try to pick and choose and to say, this isn't for me. That's not for me. You live according to this book. Your life will go very, very well. It is because of this book and what is written in it. If I could leave you with one thing, and this is what I told my daughter... It is these words of Moses. This is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. I leave you this book. It is not a financial inheritance that could only lead you astray. It is this book. This is what I leave with you. And I challenge you to take this book, which I I would wake up in the morning with my daughter and teach her this book every morning. Now you go and you teach this to your children. Then your life will go well. I give you the same thing. This is what Paul says. This book, this book, 
Will you observe this book? If you do, your life will go well. Will you believe this book? Challenges will come. But remember, I challenge you to examine the lives of those that challenge the authenticity of this book. Look at their lives. It is never happy. It is never happy. You don't want to be like those who challenge this book. Because their end is destruction. That is their end. The very things that they pride themselves upon will be the very things that destroy them. I was reading in one of Charles Spurgeon's books and he was talking about how the ones who oppose God, the very things that they pride themselves on, those things become their destruction. Absalom challenged his father's authority. In the field where he was going to kill his father was his very gallows in the tree. The hangman was the mule that he proudly rode on because it carried him to that tree. The hair that he gloried in, it said Absalom's hair, was so thick that it was admired by so many, including himself. The very hair on his head became the rope that caught him in that tree. The very things that we, they pride themselves upon will mean their utter destruction. It is this book that will see you through. This book will see you through life. If I can leave you with one thing, it is learn to read this book, meditate on it, and believe it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the Scriptures, for the Word of God. That Paul could say that I believe everything that is according to the law and written in the prophets. Lord, I believe this book. I believe the warnings in this book. I believe the blessings in this book. Father, thank you that you have our lives mapped out in this book according to what will happen. Father, it is not an idle word for us. Indeed, it is our life. I pray for these young people that they would take hold of life, that they would make it their meditation. Father, make it their meditation, I pray. Father, may they choose life. May they choose the prosperity written in the Word of God. Father, your blessings to be upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.